0: This is Hassan Akram, your host for Autonomous Vehicle Safety and Security Podcast, brought to you by Matrix. In this episode, Mario Hoffman tells you the implication of GDPR in automotive data. I've been knowing Mario since 2006. Mario Hoffman, who is leading Continental's Security and Privacy Competence Center at Frankfurt. I've completed my master's thesis under his supervision. Then we have published a number of uh, peer-reviewed papers together. We researched on privacy and future of identity management. We have executed automotive projects together and we're still collaborating at the from Matrix to to Continental uh, role. Mario, welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Hasan. It's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm leading the consulting team. It's an internal consulting team at Continental and we are supposed to support all the different business units. No, of course, it's a lot of about uh, electronic control units Mm -hmm. in vehicles. So actually two-thirds of business comes from this part. Uh, we collaborate with all the different uh, vehicle manufacturers worldwide. So, uh, And, of course, with the, all the cybersecurity challenges ahead, as well as the, the privacy challenges. So, of course, especially the uh, general data protection regulation in Europe. We have a lot of things ahead of us that we need to solve, that we have to address. And this is, let's say, the part of the consulting team to bring those topics into the business units, who uh, develop their products.
0: Today, we will talk about the European privacy law that just came into force two weeks ago. And uh, we're gonna focus on the implications of that privacy law in automotive industry. So we have seen this uh, European privacy law in place. Mm -hmm. And uh, just before that, there has been a series of scandals let's put put it this way from from giant internet companies mm-hmm. um now with those scandals in the in, in in the past and the new law coming up how do you think the automotive industry is taking it and what is the implication you think yeah. in your opinion
1: actually you have mentioned already different dimensions of this huge challenge um i think let's start with the, the law or the regulation itself before Uh, just to make sure that we are all on the same page here so uh, let's say the major um, goals of this regulation is to harmonize european law so we had the last 20 years already data protection laws just based on the directive from 1995 but it was like uh, that each of those member states just invented their own interpretation of this laws so we had very different standards and this was actually then the, the consequence that large Internet companies just were looking uh, where do I have, well, I have to say the weakest interpretation of this directive. And then we ended up that, for example, some companies had their headquarters, uh, European headquarters in, in Ireland. Uh, having said that, that uh, just have a look at the uh, data protection regulation itself. So what are the major goals? It's Transparency. So transparency, what happens with my data when I give it to can be an internet shop, could be also other services from the internet, could be of course in the future my vehicle. There is a goal of unlinkability. So we don't have different databases combined aggregated somewhere in the background to have huge user profiles in the future. Um, We have uh, user consent So um, I'm supposed to be asked from a service provider. Okay. Are you willing? Is there an active uh, will from my side to give this data away? This is one user consent. So I have to say yes, somewhere, explicitly opt in, right? To be forgotten is, uh, sounds a bit weird, but it means like, okay, there's, there should be, there's supposed to be a possibility to go to an internet provider, to go to a service provider, to go to a vehicle manufacturer or a service provider in those vehicles to say, well, I would not like to be part of this game any longer. Please delete my data set. Well, a huge challenge, of course, because uh, if you think of cloud computing, the goal is that you have redundant data everywhere around the world stored. And uh, we both know the algorithms behind it. Uh, Actually, you cannot say where the data is physically stored, but that's another story. Um, This is one thing, data portability. Data portability can really be a pain in the neck because what I see currently in the automotive domain that all the different car manufacturers, um, just like, let's say 15 years back, uh, the internet providers just built their silos. I think if you drive a specific brand, a specific uh, manufacturer is your favorite. Uh, they offer services from their perspective, running in their back end. And if I decide in 10 years to go with another brand, well, I can imagine that I would like just like to take all this data with me, because uh, this is at least my interpretation. This is my data. Now, I know there are different interpretations from different perspectives. but. I would like to take this data and put it into my new car to have my history and enjoy and have the benefits of having this history also in the new car. So, this is a huge challenge, of course. That is the part of
0: the law. You you should should be enabling uh, portability.
1: The reason why we are sitting here is not all of these uh, weird uh, aspects of the data protection, because we had this already in the directive. So actually this is current law for the last 20 years but uh, may I say this uh, nobody cared much because there were no sanctions no? if you don't follow those rules oh well there was nobody who could could really uh, sue you who could really um, get to to court and there was never let's say well that you have to expect uh, millions of, of fines to pay if you don't Uh, be compliant to this directive and this has changed dramatically and this is I think the major progress from a privacy point of view that we now have sanctions Uh, Actually two aspects. It's either 20 million or 4% of your annual turnover depending on what is more and if you think of huge companies with uh, billions of, of annual return you can think of that uh, also the sanctions, if you don't follow this law, are also in the billions and this made all the managers wake up. Ah, OK, there is something that we have to consider. And this is why we are sitting here, right?
0: As everybody knows, none of us are lawyers, so we have yep. uh, you have kindly stated the basics of the law and we, it's, it's, it's a clear disclaimer that we, we nothing should be taken as a legal advice from this show. Uh, we will no. focus on the technical aspect of the privacy law. How are OEMs? Let's start with OEMs and we'll go to Tier 1. How are the OEMs dealing with it?
1: And automotive is, let's say, a special domain in some sense. What I mean is that if I make or if we make decisions today, either in, in your projects or in my projects for the huge vehicle manufacturers, these decisions will affect products, let it be a a door control unit, let it be an airbag control unit, let it be an entertainment system in future models, we will see those systems in uh, two to three years from now on the roads and they will drive there the next 15 years. Uh, So that means that we have to take into account that decisions, let it be in cybersecurity, but also here in this data protection regulation direction. uh, decisions that we make today will be valid the next 20 years but this is quite a time span that we need to consider here to make it right and um, what does it mean from a technical point of view well maybe i can start with a little story Uh, i was very uh, well surprised actually one and a half years back i had uh, a meeting in japan with one of the japanese Uh, vehicle manufacturers, car manufacturers, and we had a three-hour special session on what does the European General Data Protection Regulation mean to those guys. Because they also were just confronted with this. uh, At that time, it was published. Two years back, uh, the regulation had been published. Now it came into force. And what does it mean? And no matter what they asked, let it be from, okay, what happens to this data from the sensor? What happens with the data from this entertainment unit? What happens with the data that we send to our backend? Uh, my answer always started with, it depends. Yeah, I know this is not really promising or uh, leading to, let's say, a solution right away. But, but this is the truth. And it depends just means, of, of, of course, if you have a single data, from a radar sensor Uh, there's actually no nothing that is related or linked already to some uh, personally identifiable information so how we call it right so things that we need to consider and we uh, uh, can affect or violate the data protection regulation and uh, but what i mean with it depends is what are you gonna do with this data are you going to Combine the data with other data in the vehicle? Do you interpret it? Do you uh, evaluate it? Uh, put it together? Uh, yeah, make some um, aggregation, um, just get some information out of it. Do you send it to a backend? For how long? Huh? Um, and then we are exactly in the middle of this okay, when it is combined, when it is gathered, interpreted, and goes into a backend. Do you have the user consent is this transparent to the user in the car do we have kind of a computer uh, uh, man computer interface which makes it possible driving the car to make decisions about data sharing so how will this look like it's just like it's all about uh, transparency user consent uh, purpose limitation Mm -hmm. Uh, then of course you can uh, take this data from the car, mm. share it with other cars, uh, share it with your infrastructure, share it with the backend. But always the question, um, as you said, uh, the time and uh, also what is linked to this data. Mm. Is it your, uh, your name? Mm. Uh, so what kind of data goes along with uh, the, the data which is necessary to provide this service? Mm. If it's just the GPS coordination mm. that I share, mm. it just says, okay, there's some moving object that provides a GPS coordinate. Could be a car, could be a truck, could be a bicycle, I don't know. It's part of, uh, let's say, the traffic that flows on this street in uh, this and that speed. And this, for my understanding, would already be sufficient to provide a service like uh, a traffic uh, forecast or what is the current situation on the way that I need to drive. So there's no need to have, uh, I don't know, the license plate or to have uh, a name or to have a serial number connected to this data. Mm. For what?
0: Mm. When when it comes to automotive, we have a very unique kind of data. GPS is the kind of data we all most of the time talk about, the position data, the location data. However, we have other unique kind of data, the sensors, the speed, the acceleration, how many times (coughs) I hit the brake how is my fuel consumption how is my driving behavior and also many other things that is not relevant to a person but it's very interesting for the manufacturer so Mm -hmm. uh technically what challenge do you see for the oems and for the tier one and for the tier twos to be compliant with european data protection law
1: we for example at the competence center we have a demonstrator which shows you how Uh, the human interaction could look like in your car in the sense of uh, configuring, uh, make your settings according to your feeling about uh, your privacy. So you can exactly configure, um, let's say, to what extent you would like to share and how long with whom you would like to share exactly the data that you have mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's currently, of course, you can imagine a huge discussion to, to which detail Uh, this has to be presented to a driver. Uh, Of course, not when he drives or she drives because this would just uh, distract you from uh, actually what happens on the street. Uh, That's actually the same issue that we have with uh, how can you uh, visualize cybersecurity things in in the car. So just let those guys drive the car. Okay, we're not talking about automated drive, right?
0: We're not yet talking about.
1: Okay, that's good. (laughs) Uh, so in this sense of course um, i expect some kind of interfaces additional interfaces to configure um, maybe a a specific data protection profile that you would like to uh, establish let's have an example you enter a smart city with your car maybe it's your hometown and you're used to share with your hometown um, any kind of information that your car produces uh, because you enjoy uh, many very uh, useful services in this environment, but maybe you go um, during your vacation to another city and maybe they just have a subset of data that you would like to share and that this should be configurable from my point of view uh, Not to bother. I mean the drivers like uh, would you like to share the data with the next traffic light And you have those messages always popping up uh, somewhere in, in your displays or maybe you know, on your fourth screen or wherever. No So we are talking about Uh, a minimal interaction but to make it possible that a driver also the passengers in the car have a feeling okay uh, this is some kind of compliance we have transparency we have user consent we have uh, maybe also this right to be forgotten can be somewhere configured so how long is this data supposed to be valid that they share with a service. Maybe I can configure this if I don't have that much trust in a service provider that they are going to delete it after three months or so. But many open questions. I mean, it just started in this environment that we think about, okay, what does it mean to just have the other examples from, from uh, our earlier questions like door control unit, what does this data protection regulation mean to a door Door control control unit unit. or to um, um, a brake system uh, or to, uh, I mean, a good example maybe is um, the, uh, I think in the US, it's already mm, in a law already stated this kind of black box that we know from airplanes. And in the future to make this link already to automated drive insurances need to differentiate Okay, uh, who was driving the car when it comes to an accident? Was it the driver or was it the car? So, uh, who's liable? So, who is uh, going to take the responsibility? What happened? Is it the driver or is it the car manufacturer? And here, of course, a black box would be helpful. But there's no list of, let's say, um, features data yet that tells you what needs to go into this. So, we have... Well, here in Europe, this data protection regulation we have in other parts of the world, different regulations. But none of those regulations tell you exactly on a technical level what needs to be into such a black box, for example. So, as I said, we are just at the beginning in automotive. And I think this is, let's say, one of the, the key messages here mm. that there's, of course, still time. Uh, it's not like that. Uh, All the car manufacturers will go to court next week because uh, it's not that much implemented yet. So the thing is, if you like to have crypto modules in future cars to make, let's say the features like signing software updates or having encrypted communication channels in the vehicle or from car to car or from car to backend, you need to have all these crypto features in your car as well
0: as we know that automotive industry is a very mature 100 years long industry we have legacy processes the v model we have the functional safety in place on top of that now we we we're talking about three parallel v's development safety security now i understand this privacy is is part of the part of the security v do you see an additional process tailoring requirement uh, in, terms of, in terms of this new implication of this new law?
1: I mean, if we uh, develop this a little bit further, <clears throat> the next years, um, I'm pretty sure that we have an additional V, uh, which comes from a data protection privacy point of view, uh, since we have it uh, the, the last years uh, with the cybersecurity. When it started, it was like, oh, maybe we can just put this into the functional safety V uh, processes look similar. So let's start from that point. But at one point, we realized that functional safety and um, cybersecurity, I mean, it's part of the same story, but looking at the the vehicle challenge from different perspectives. And uh, currently, it's like, uh, as you said, that we have uh, what we call privacy impact assessment. Uh, inside of the cybersecurity v-model. So at one point during the threat and risk analysis, we look at what kind of data do we generate in this component? What happens to this data? And then ask ourselves those questions which come from data protection regulation, like do we have to make this transparent to the driver, to the passengers? Uh, Do we need to have a user consent? So these things currently happen in the privacy impact assessment. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine when we think about the next steps in the sense of um, if we say, oh yes, after the privacy impact assessment, we need to find some features um, or countermeasures uh, against the privacy violations Mm. that we need to reflect this also then in the next step in the architecture, in the concept. So the system concept system architecture, we have a security architecture, Maybe from case to case, we need to have uh, a privacy architecture. And then, of course, the implementation phase, when we start coding these things mm-hmm. and then on the testing side. Again, I think there will be specifically tailored testings, testing specifications to prove that we have fulfilled the requirements that come from data protection and privacy. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, when you um Get a requirement, get a, a customer requirement from from an OEM. Yeah, um, have you already seen any any influence of the of the new privacy laws in the in the requirement that you already have to work on? Is it already taking place, or are you still uh, talking to the OEMs for such changes at a technical level?
1: I think currently it's. Uh one stage before that we get concrete requirements in the requirements list from our customers. Mm -hmm. Currently, there's a lot of discussion uh, how to interpret um, this data protection regulation. What does it mean to automotive, to our domain, to vehicles, to these future um, visions like um, smart cities, like uh, connected cars, automated drive? So, of course, to make those scenarios happen, we need to exchange data. And here it comes exactly to the point where we need to have those privacy impact assessments. Mm -hmm. And this is ongoing. So we cannot say right now already what kind of technical impact this will have and how the solutions at the end will look uh, look like. Um, But I see, uh, of course, a huge interest. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Not only in my former example from uh, Japanese OEMs, of course, also from German ones and uh, US ones as well. Because this is kind of a regulation, yes, it's supposed to be applied in in Europe, but uh, also the other car manufacturers want to sell their cars, of course, in Europe as well. So um, in this sense, I think we are at the beginning um, of defining together, Mm -hmm. for the complete community together, also in um, organizations like the VDA or the ISO standardization committees, that we talk about the impact of this new regulation and uh, try to translate this into the automotive domain.
0: Do you think there could be some um, standardization in the future for different levels of privacy feature in different ECUs so what I can understand is obviously your infotainment system probably will require more compliance than your braking system because just because of the because of the nature of their their use cases as Mm -hmm. as as you you just mentioned that when you hit the brake you want the brake to happen
1: Uh, yes exactly I was just uh, thinking about uh, an example that we all know Uh, from, uh, um, I don't know how it is uh, currently, but in in former versions of Windows, we had also this uh, uh, privacy configuration. If you remember, uh, you had this, um, how would you like to share information with internet services? And there was something like low, middle, high, very high. Nobody had any clue what that means. eh? And the explanation was already too technically too technical so that a typical computer user would ever thought about it or even understand it. So, how do we avoid this in cars? (laughs) I don't know yet. I mean, we are just at the beginning of understanding what kind of impact that might mean this regulation. We know that we need to reflect those um, important points like user consent transparency, data portability, but it's not broken down already to a technical level that that we know already what it means for a single ECU. Currently, we are on a system level thinking about what does it mean to our use cases that I sketched before a little, uh, but it's not let's say that we know already in detail what does it mean to a door control unit, what does it mean to a brake control unit. This has not happened yet.
0: So this is definitely going to bring additional development cost and uh, and what do you think? Is it going to be like cars will be more expensive in EU compared to the rest of the world? Or how? what's, what's the commercial uh, side of it looking?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, we have been working together for quite some years, um, maybe 10 or even more. And uh, we are also working on uh, some uh, privacy projects. And uh, the problem was always uh, how to find a business model. Who would like to pay for privacy? I mean, if you go outside and ask people for passwords in exchange, a piece of chocolate, most of those people just tell you your their password, I mean, this is kind of contradicting, of course. Um, They just expect they just expect that we have a certain privacy level in a vehicle when it sends information to other services. The same thing uh, in the Internet or with mobile phones. And this is why we have always this uh, wow uh, when it comes to a scandal. If there's a breach of millions of personal data or something because people just trust that the service providers can handle this appropriately. So, in this sense, who's going to pay the bill? That's a very good question. Um, I think we can also think, or let's say, find an analogy from the cybersecurity. Also, cybersecurity was uh, at that time supposed to be, um, of course, integrated in the next release of a certain ECU. But the request from the car manufacturers or customers was, Uh, but of course cheaper. In the meanwhile, no surprise, uh, the domain uh, also the complete community realized, of course, it's not for free. So just based on our experiences with larger research projects, at the very beginning, when we had no experiences yet, what it costs, I just said, oh well, if you have a certain project budget for the next three years, just put 10 to 15 percent overhead for the security on top of it. Everybody was just looking at me like, uh, hey, is this guy crazy? How can we do this? Because in automotive domain, you know it maybe even better than me. People calculate with uh, in, in cents, in euro cents. So no way of having additional cost just because of cybersecurity features. In the meanwhile, this has changed a little. Yeah. So everybody has understood it's not for free. I think just the same exercise will happen with this privacy developments. So, And I think that this kind of uh, data protection regulation really helps to make these features mandatory and standard in the future. So currently there's a a huge competition between um, OEMs, uh, suppliers, everybody in this domain to find the right people to uh, to think about to conceptualize to implement and to test all the cyber cybersecurity features and uh, and not even think about uh, the the privacy features so we are currently in the state that we really need to find experts and experienced people who uh, do these or who integrate and implement the cybersecurity features that we have thought about Technically, we could state that uh, my expectation is that the uh, privacy features will just based on the same fundamental crypto algorithms that we have already seen in cybersecurity features. So there will be AES, uh, DES, uh, several kind of asymmetric and symmetric uh, crypto algorithms. Um, the latest features in our crypto Hardware components is, of course elliptic curve cryptography, so uh, these are also the fundamentals for having uh, privacy features when you rely on hardware trusted hardware anchors, which make it happen that you can send uh, personally identifiable information in an encrypted and probably signed way to some kind of counterparts like other cars or backend
0: in future. These two things, these two aspects of security—privacy and cybersecurity—should uh, they be independent of each other, or should they work together?
1: I think, from a development process point of view, we can uh, nicely fit those privacy aspects into the uh, the cybersecurity V model. So, but this is also true for the the functional safety. So, if you think about it. Uh, those specialized people in the future should talk together, of course. So we have uh, specialized people from a functional safety point of view. We have specialized people from a cybersecurity point of view. And in the future, we will also have specialized people who can reflect and who can make proposals, how to integrate uh, the privacy features properly in future components. So I think this will be just a natural way to do it because To have everything together, it's just too much to handle for just one person. So I think, yeah, from uh, the effort point of view, we will have to put a little bit more effort, I guess, in the future for the ECUs that we need to equip with privacy features to uh, be compliant to the GDPR.
0: So in the end, for our audience, if you have to summarize some challenges and some opportunities, could you could you name some?
1: Well, the opportunities uh, that I see here is uh, that there's now a regulation in place that harmonizes the different laws in Europe. So there's really some kind of uh, security in, 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 let's say, our plans for the future, also for the automotive domain, that we know what kind of general aspects, high level protection goals are expected, like what I said, transparency, user consent, Purpose limitation. It's not that much. Huh? And we know those rules already from other domains. It's also nothing really new. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel in some sense. So, and having said that, I would just, my, my conclusion would be uh, keep calm and get compliant. Uh, well, the, the challenges, of course, is how to uh, integrate the uh, privacy uh, threats and the risks that comes along into our V-Model. Well, of course, we need uh, more experts that can deal also from a technical point of view with uh, the privacy implications to uh, make our components compliant to GDPR in the future. Um, we will have, of course, uh, the uh, never-ending budget discussion. Well, well, I mean, we need to mention this here, that uh, this is something that was under discussion, of course, with the functional safety, uh, as well as uh, the cybersecurity functionalities, but also now with the risks and with uh, the requirements that come with the GDPR.
0: Mm-hmm. And the major opportunities are?
1: The opportunity is hmm, to get this fundamental right of privacy and data protection into our future digitalized world in an appropriate way. And the GDPR is one main cornerstone, from my opinion.
0: Thank you, Mario, for being with us. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for the
0: invitation. If you have liked our show, please uh, feel free to write comments or write to us at podcast at matrix.de.